Take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Timothy. You'll find it towards the end of the Bible. If you find some T's in there, you'll know that Timothy is right around in that area. 1 Timothy chapter 4, as we're just continuing to work through this epistle. It's a pastoral epistle meant for the church, meant to remind leaders of the church how the church is to be and to remind the church how we are to live and to engage in life. So uh, it's, it's proved to be a very good time for us to be in this book of the Bible. People who give themselves entirely to Jesus Christ and his kingdom, those who consecrate themselves to the Lord and choose to deny themselves and reject the worldly ways and instead choose to live unto God and his glory, those are people who inspire me in life. In fact, of the biographies that I've read, I have thoroughly enjoyed the likes of Hudson Taylor and E.M. Bounds and Ian Thomas and D.L. Moody and Watchman Nee and A.W. Tozer and others. If you haven't read the biographies of those men, then I would encourage you to do so. I hope that you will. Like Timothy, they train themselves in the words of faith and good doctrine of the Bible and they began to apply those truths in their lives in a way that was very disciplined and very determined by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And they began to live godly lives. As we've taken time over the last couple of weeks to think about God's call for us to live godly before him and see that in the expression of Timothy and his life, we have been challenged by the Holy Spirit to live accordingly. At least I have, I assume that you have as well. This past week, I couldn't quite shake the fact that Timothy, among other elders of the church, lived differently. Yet Hymenaeus and Alexander, who were also elders in the church, and yet Paul singularly focuses on Timothy, telling him that he's living a disciplined life in faith and good doctrine and encourages him to continue to practice godliness. He can't say that of the other two. They have shipwrecked their faith. And I couldn't quite shake the idea that here's three men that are listed in this epistle. And of the three of them, all of them have heard the gospel. They have been under the instruction of the Apostle Paul, who gave them the apostles' teachings, the words of Christ. They were amidst the church of Jesus Christ, the very body of Christ expressed in the current times. And they were called by God to live a life that was alike. But yet two out of three did not. Only one out of the three did. And it reminded me that in life in church today, it's very much the same. That all of us have access to God's truth. All of us have access to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. All of us have the means by which we can be encouraged in faith with one another, but not everybody is willing to do that. Not everybody is willing to surrender themselves to Christ and deny themselves, take up the cross of Christ, the words of Christ, to denounce worldliness and to embrace godliness. Not everybody is willing to do that. And so there will be a day, as Matthew 7, 21 says, that they will come before the Lord and he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You are a worker of iniquity. And they will begin to proclaim all those things that are spiritual and religious, but nothing that proves their surrenderedness to Christ. 
I couldn't shake that because I'm fearful of that among us. And I want us to engage God's word with truth and authenticity and to live it out in great expressions as God has given us the access to do so by his own son and by his Holy Spirit. So we're each hearing the beckoning call of God's word, each treasured with the empowerment of his spirit to dive deeply into his word, to train our lives for godliness. Some are going to follow hard after Christ, and as you do so, your lives will be monumental, not just valuable for today, but they will be valuable throughout all eternity. You are the people that inspire me. You are the people that move my life to be greater than what it would be without you, and I'm very encouraged by you. I just challenge you, continue on in your faith. Uh, though others may not be pursuing Christ, continue on in your faith. You are making a difference. You say, I don't see the difference. Most of the men that I showed you on the screen this morning would say the same thing in their own lives. In fact, some of them considered themselves failures, <laughs> but they were far from that. If you are given in faith and good doctrine and you are practicing godliness, I can tell you your life is making a great impact. Stay the course. Stay the course. I want to go on record that I choose Jesus Christ. I want to follow hard after him. I want to know and speak his words of truth. I want to walk step in step with the spirit of Christ who dwells within me. And I want to know if there's anybody here today who wants to go on record and say, me too. For the 12 of you, I appreciate you. <laughs> the rest of you, I'm going to encourage you through the rest of this hour I do not want to be in the arena of truth, in possession of God's scripture, the Bible, amid the church of Jesus Christ, and end up with shipwrecked faith or an inconsequential life. I'm 55, well past the halfway mark. And I want these years to be the most for Jesus Christ. Some of you are beyond me. Some of you are in the waning hours. You can make the greatest impact of your life today. Need I remind you that Caleb was in his 80s before he took possession of the land that God had promised him, claimed his stake, believing, trusting that God was his provider. Need I remind you that Abraham was in his 80s before he stepped out in faith unto God? Whether you're young or whether you're old, these could be the moments that God is calling you to a deep understanding of his word, a deep dive into truth, the choice to follow hard after him, to live your life with good doctrine, with intense faith, and a practice of godliness. And though the world is going darker by the moment, your life could burn more brightly for Jesus than ever before. Oh, I encourage you to live life in that way. That's what the Bible is doing in this text that we're in. Such is the call for us. 
But I can tell you that it's not a call for the spiritually apathetic. It is not that way for the intellectually lazy who will not engage in God's word. It's not for the half-hearted and it is not for the carnal-minded. But God is calling out to those who choose godliness, who choose a surrendered state unto the spirit of holiness. And as he's calling you, he's empowering you, making it so that you might walk as he's calling you to walk. Those of us who have a dog determination to know and to pursue God's love and grace, his truth and power, his presence and promise, God will flourish in us. It's for those who believe that they live before, Coram Deo, the face of God, that your daily living is before him. It's for those who joyfully deny the worldly gratification that is offered to us, knowing that there is an eternal reward that outweighs any temporal gratification. It's for those of us who are willing to die to self and live unto the glory of Jesus Christ. Many of you are there. You're walking in the way of Christ. I'm so encouraged by you. And some of you are on the threshold of that. I encourage you to take the step forward in faith. Let God do what he's calling you to surrender to. Let him do his great work in you. Now with that challenge, let's look together in God's holy word to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. He says to Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Servant, by the way, there is the same word for a minister. If you're going to be a good minister, you have to put these truths before the brothers. And here they are, being trained in the words of faith and good doctrine that you have followed. So here's a practice. It's not just that they've heard it or that Timothy has heard it and has been trained in it. He is following it. Hear the difference between him and Hymenaeus and Alexander who heard those truths, who have been given those truths but chose not to follow them. So you're in the proximity of truth. We're proclaiming it publicly. It's not just about hearing it. It's not being trained in it alone. It is following it. It's pursuing it and so he says Timothy that's what you're doing and you will be a good minister if you present that to the people encourage them to do the same have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths rather train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have not, we have set our hope, excuse me, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So here, Paul is instructing Timothy that he's gonna be a good servant if he will present this to the church. It's the reason why you and I must be people who are given to God's word, the truth, and we're gonna present that to you. I'm not here to uh, give you psychobabble. I'm not here to uh, encourage you in ways other than, here's the scripture, here's what God says, now let's go for it. Let's just step into it. I want to mention four things that are in this passage that I think just need to be heard and need to be applied in our daily living. First, follow biblical training of faith and good doctrine. That's what Timothy is doing, and that's what God, by his Spirit, is calling us to do in this passage. By grace, God has placed Timothy in a position to know the words of good faith and doctrine. He's positioned him 
well to have that. It, because you're here, God has positioned you in the same way. For Timothy, the introduction was of the Jewish faith of the Old Testament by his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And those two women invested in him what faith in God, Yahweh, would be like. So when Paul came through on his missionary journey into Derby and, and Lystra and Timothy was close by, no doubt Timothy heard the message of the gospel that Paul has been given in that, area, in that area. And as he receives that, he opens himself to faith and truth and word and he moves forward in that. And then the elders of the church that Paul has planted, the elders of that church begin to nurture him and disciple him and mentor him and invest in him such that when Paul comes back around, they say, hey, here's one that God is doing something incredible in. You ought to take a look at him. You ought to listen to him. And Paul takes Timothy in his latter teen years and brings him alongside of him on missionary journeys himself. And he's just discipling him, journeying with him, sharing the gospel boldly and in various ways and places. And Timothy is there hearing that and being encouraged by that. And now here he is in his mid-30s pastoring the church at Ephesus. And he is submitting himself to Paul's teaching by these letters. That's what God had done for Timothy. Now, if I just went back through that list, which is biblically accounted for through the scripture, just went back through that, you could see easily five steps of faith that Timothy had. One, Timothy experienced God conditioning his heart through his mother and grandmother. He heard and responded to the gospel. He submitted himself to the faith and good doctrine of the apostles' teachings, that which you and I have in the scripture. He followed God's word with faithful practice, and now he's purposefully pursuing a lifetime of godliness. Those are steps of faith that God had placed in Timothy's life. Uh, could I ask you, where are you in those steps? Which of those steps coincide with your life right now? What is God doing in you? I can tell you he's bringing you on a journey. Some of you, it's he's conditioning your heart so that as you're understanding the gospel, he's gonna make that pop. He's gonna, by grace, bring you into salvation by conditioning your heart like a farmer conditions the soul. So when the seed, the gospel is thrown out, it falls into fertile soil of your heart and begins to spring forth and bring life, a multiplicity of life. Some of you are there. Some of you are hearing the gospel, the word of God, and you're beginning to apply it. You're beginning to receive it by faith. You're beginning to walk in it. Where are you in those steps? Could I encourage you, if you have gone through the first couple of steps, keep on going. If God is still at work in your life, go all the way through. Where is all the way through? It's constantly living your life in submission to God with godliness, choosing to reject the worldliness that is so prolifically offered to us and embrace instead godliness. Where are you? Secondly, train yourself for godliness by knowing and practicing God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've written that very specifically because I don't want you to think that you're gonna be able to get to godliness on your own. Godliness is a gift. It's given to us by God, by his spirit, through the work of Christ Jesus and the resurrection and all that which is shared to us. 
But he's saying to train ourselves for godliness, believing that the Spirit of God is going to help us practice that and to empower us for that. So he's training, saying training for godliness. Gymnazo is the word in the original language. It's where you and I get our term gymnasium. And so, if you will, Paul is saying in a spiritual context to Timothy, make sure you're training yourself like you're at the gym. Train yourself for godliness. Now, some of us have checked out of the gym a long time ago. You don't even pay the membership anymore, do you? I'm, I'm with you. I, I remember Kay and I used to have a, a um, weight training machine an apparatus where you pull the pins you know adjust the weights and it had the pull down bars and the the bench press and and all that it became like a multi hundred dollar rack for our laundry (laughs) we would just hang clothes on it and the bench became our ironing board had a had one of those little triangle marks where the tip of the iron got into it and sort of embarrassing when people say oh you work out sure yeah (laughs) once K moves the clothes out of a way that we go for it this is the word that he's using here so he's saying train yourself you've got to work at it you've got to go hard at it you know soon the summer Olympics are going to begin I think it's the 23rd or so of this month and athletes from all over the world are going to begin competing and they're of course looking for gold medals in their field of sport and when you watch those athletes uh, from a distance as I hear now you're not going to be able to watch them in person but from a distance when you watch them you're going to see that they're going to be in peak condition that didn't happen overnight did it that took a lifetime you ever read about them like they are given from their whole life for that moment when they're going to compete they have been training in gyms training in eating training with discipline their entire life for that moment that's the term that Paul is using here when he's telling Timothy you've got to train for godliness in this way now as you know the Greeks highly valued athletic prowess they really thought that uh, being well conditioned in body was a supreme goal for everybody in fact the olympics have been rooted from greece right back three thousand years ago so the greeks were very much given to that in fact in your 15 16 17 year old years your job was to be in the gym training because life was physical then and competition was really excelling in that culture so if you wanted to excel in life you had to be training constantly in the gym It was highly valued. So when the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, train yourself, he's using a cultural expression that was very easily understood. It came with a whole lot of package of what that word means. So you and I would say it a little bit differently. We would say, eat well and train hard. It's not just about going to the gym three times a week. No, no, you got to you've got to break up with little Debbie and you've got to embrace some greens and some orange and some yellows and you've got to start eating differently, right? And then you've got to train regularly, both cardio and resistance training. You've got to eat well and train hard if you're going to be in peak physical condition. And that's what Timothy is being encouraged. But he's saying, 
in a spiritual way, you've got to eat well and train hard for godliness. Eat well, good faith, good doctrine. Train hard, discipline to godliness. John MacArthur defines godliness in this way. It's a right attitude and response to the true creator God. The right attitude and response to God. It's a preoccupation of the heart with holy and sacred realities. Those Olympic athletes or any athlete that excels has a preoccupation with winning. They are given to it. And MacArthur is saying that Godliness is this preoccupation with that which is holy and sacred because you are in right understanding of God. That's a pretty good definition. If you wanted to make it more simple, we could just say godliness is the opposite of worldliness. What is the world embracing that is not godly? So since the Bible expresses the holy realities of God, Training ourselves for godliness comes from first reading and practicing God's word, God's truth, God's commands, God's doctrines. And the Spirit empowers us for such training. You say, Well, I can't understand the Bible. Pause and pray. The Holy Spirit is your trainer, He is your teacher. Ask Him to help you understand, and He will give you the understanding as He wants you to have it. I've done that countless times in my office at our kitchen table wherever I am studying God's word it's God I just can't quite get this please I pray for understanding I pray that you give me insight to this sometimes it comes pretty quickly sometimes it comes sometime later just trust him he's your trainer the Holy Spirit will empower you to understand God's truth and he will empower you to have a transformed heart and with that transformed heart comes godliness Now here's a warning. Spiritual counterfeits attempt godliness without God's regenerative work in their heart. They're just gonna try to be godly. They're gonna try to do this thing as God tells them to, but they're gonna do it in their own strength, their own self-discipline, and oftentimes with self-helps. And that is a counterfeit. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers godliness in our hearts from hearts that are made anew by Christ Jesus. And so the warning is clearly stated in the second letter that Timothy receives from Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, but understand this, that in the last days, by the way, we're living in the last days. You say, preacher, are you saying that Jesus is coming back very soon? I don't know. I hope so. Come, Lord Jesus, come, right? Ever so quickly, come. I don't know, but I know that after the The Lord ascended to heaven. He said from the moment that he was resurrected and ascended all the way to his second coming, those are the last days. You and I are in the last days. So in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Listen to the difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen in conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know what he's saying there? All that is worldliness. That in the last days, 
Worldliness is abounding. Man, have we ever seen in the history of our country such utter worldliness as we're seeing right now? Jesus said it would be that way. But now look at this last description in verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now, I could point a stubby finger all the way into the world with verses 2, 3, 4. But verse 5 is a direct point to you and me. He's saying that there will be some who will act godly but they don't have the power of the Spirit of God in their lives, so they're acting all religious, sound religious, but they have not the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their, eye, in their life. So outside of the public eye, they live as the world. What goes on in their mind is as the world that they have not embraced the Spirit's transformation of heart, thereby they cannot be godly. Now, they can fake it when other people are around, but the fake comes off when the, when the world is not watching. They have an appearance of godliness, but they have not the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Can we just time out right there? That is the impotent church today. You want power at Meadowbrook. You want to do the work of God in supernatural ways. You want to see the work of Christ in ways that you've never experienced it before by a people of God. Then choose godliness. Choose holiness that is empowered by the spirit of holiness. Choose to be transformed from the inside out. Don't fake it. Just get real before the Lord choose to be real before other people and pursue God's truth. Godly people are eager to practice self-discipline, but they do it with choosing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, walking with him, not gratifying the flesh, but choosing to please God with faith. That's what he's calling us to. Simone Biles is recognized as the greatest gymnast ever. She's the most decorated American gymnast that we have ever seen, holding a combined total of 30 Olympic and World Championship medals. Self-discipline grounds her success. A typical day is included on the screen right now. It's up at 7 a.m., a quick get ready, then a hearty breakfast, then off to warm-ups and training, then quick drive 10 minutes home to lunch where she eats a healthy meal, then she has an hour of rest, a protein snack, and then back to the gym for more training where it concludes about 6 p.m. with physical therapy either there at the gym or home, dinner with her family, and then she hits the books for homework until she goes to bed at 11 o'clock. And the next day she gets up and she does it over again. And she does that Monday through Saturday. On Sunday, she takes a day of rest to be with her family and friends and attend her church. She's grounded. She's disciplined. She follows that schedule because Biles recognizes that to be an Olympic champion, she has to train. She has to eat well and train hard. And she's determined to do that. She concentrates on doing what is healthy and she concentrates on staying away from what is not healthy for her life as an Olympic champion. 
The same principle applies to us spiritually. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. These principles apply to you spiritually in your life. He says it in a different way to the church at Corinth. He says in in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. In other words, the trophy is perishable. But what we're doing spiritually is we're seeking a trophy that is imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, he says. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What Paul is saying there is he continues to train even in the most mature seasons of his life, he's continuing to train. As he is even a trainer, he's training so that he will not be disqualified in the end. So could I encourage you, my friends, to train yourself for godliness, knowing and practicing God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then number three, keep in mind that godliness holds promise for today and for the life to come. This is the way he said it in our passage of today. Bodily training is some, of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So we would be better off, no doubt, if we disciplined ourselves to eat well and train hard, physically. We would just be better off if we would do that. He's not suggesting that our bodily training is not a value. It is a value. And Paul is telling us that we should steward our bodies well. Listen, you and I should eat well and we should exercise, work hard, because we have much ministry to accomplish and you can do that better if you're eating well and training hard with physical bodies that are fit. So if you're here today and you're not fit, then recognize this truth. God has much for you to do on the mission field, here locally and abroad, and you will do that better if you are fit physically. And that has value to it, but it's just some value. And, and I think the reason why he's saying it's some value, it has limited value, because the day of our expiration is already stamped on us. Just let that sink in for a moment. That there is an expiration date on our bodies that God has predetermined and pre-stamped. So any physical training that I do is limited in that measure alone. It's of some value, it's valuable, but it's just some value because there is coming a day that this heart is not gonna beat anymore and these neurons are not gonna fire anymore and that's, that's already started, I think. And then things are just gonna start breaking down and there's gonna be a day, I hope many of you will be around to see it when you're about 130 years old, that you're gonna put my body to rest in six feet of ground. So my training of my physical body is limited, isn't it? The holy, godly training is forever. I just need to let that settle in that what we do today impacts eternity forever. The decisions that you and I are making right now, the way we are living our life, what we are putting into our minds, what we are engaging, all of that 
has eternal impact. And yet we act like it's in reverse, like what we're doing today is gonna be a forever kind of thing physically. And everything that we're achieving is gonna be forever. No, no, no. What you're achieving monetarily, what you're achieving materialistically, it's limited. The work that you're doing at the gym, good for you, it's limited. But the work you do in God's word and the work you do in your mind to condition yourself for godliness, that's eternal. And Paul wants Timothy to understand that. Training for godliness is a blessing for today and for eternity. Training and godliness will make us a better minister, make us a better church member, make us a better husband, a better wife, a better son, better daughter, better employee, better boss. Training in godliness makes us better people. And can I just tell you that training in godliness makes you a happier person? You say, what, what do you mean makes me happier? Well, godliness is a fruit of the Spirit working in us. And when the Spirit of God is working in us, the evidence is seen in love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. All of that is a fruit of the Spirit working in us. Where you have godliness, you have that. Now, let me just flip that on the other side. Where you have worldliness, you have the opposite of that. You are not very loving. You are not very joyful. You are not very much at peace. You are not self-controlled. You have little fat. I could go on down the, the nine fruit of the Spirit. So godliness has value for today and it has value for eternity as well. My life has been wonderfully affected by people who have pursued godliness and their impact has been immeasurable. That impact will be ultimately realized in heaven. When godly people enter into eternity, it will be clear how valuable the training for godliness actually has been. The Lord is gonna reveal and reward all those things that have been done in the right way for the right purpose. I like how Kent Hughes expresses this truth, writing, when godly lives move into the new climate of eternity, their godliness will bloom like an ever unfolding flower for all eternity. Godliness will continue its occupation begun on earth, that of serving God, the God of glory. Godliness, it has great value today and it has eternal value. Then finally, hard work and strive in life and ministry with your hope set on Jesus, your Savior. One of my favorite parts of this text today is here at the end. For to this end, Paul says, we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, don't get that wrong in the end. He's not... He's not suggesting that salvation is universal for all people. Instead, what he's doing is giving you an, an attribute of God, that God is a savior. And those who believe especially know that truth to be about God. But look what he's saying here at the end. Paul's saying, my life is given to toil and strive. Now, that, that is not a passive, not a simple way of living in Christ. He's saying that this is hard work. 
This, this is requiring diligence on my part. This is me engaged every single day in it. This is like when you're doing the sets and you're at the end of the sets and you're at the last reps of the set and your brain is screaming to you, stop, don't push anymore, just rack the thing and be done with it. But you say, no, 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 I am gonna push through this for this last one. And then you get your spotter to help you and your spotter says, okay, we're gonna do two more even though you are past the point of exhaustion and your spotter helps you lift that weight one more time because you know it's gonna be helpful to you. That's the way that Paul says, this life of godliness is toil and strive. Man, where is that today in Christianity? Where is that? This is where we who want to make an impact stand up and say, that's where I want to be. By the help of the Spirit of God, that's where I will be. This is not for sissies. This is not for the weak-hearted. This is not for the immature. This is not for the apathetic. Paul is saying, Timothy, if you want to be a good minister, you want to be a good servant of Christ, this is where you've got to be. This is where God rewards us. And man, is it valuable for today, and it will be valuable for all eternity. So let me close with four questions very, very fast. Is Jesus your Savior? Before you start to move towards godliness, you have to have Jesus as your savior. And the reason why that is, is because only he can justify you in your ungodliness. If you're gonna see a transformation, it's gonna be because you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Because training in godliness is only possible when God's spirit makes us new and moves into us. That's the only way that we will ever have godliness where God moves up into us and godliness isn't a result of good works it's the fruit of the complete surrender to Jesus Christ and constantly looking to him for his grace so godliness keeps the eyes focused on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith and trusts that he will be gracious to help us to walk in holiness is Jesus your savior secondly do you have a good diet and regularly train for faith and good doctrine that means are you engaging in God's word personally and corporately practicing faith practicing self-discipline hearing it recognizing what's in your life that shouldn't be there confessing that repenting of that and engaging in the truth changing who you are by letting the spirit of God bring the change are you practicing a good diet and good training for godliness and then number three what is your daily training routine for godliness what is your training routine many a Christian including your pastor struggles with having a good daily routine for godliness if I'm not careful I'll get up and I'll start the day as I always do and muscle memory will kick in and I can go through my routines and go all the way through my work in the office or out in the field and get back home and start that process that I do, cut grass every four days, 
uh, go out and check on the animals, the ducks, the fish, whatever. Just go through that cycle. Sit on the couch about 9 o'clock and let things settle down. Then go to bed about 10 o'clock and get up tomorrow and do it all over again. If I'm not careful, I'll allow the routines of life to just take over rather than me requiring the routines in my life towards godliness. Maybe you're like that. You're up early, you're heading off to the workplace, and you come home and you play for a while or you vegetate for a while, maybe work for a while, then you go to bed. If you don't have a good routine, training in godliness, I'm telling you, it won't happen. What is your routine? It ought to include being in God's word, speaking to God, singing to God, talking to others about God. What's your daily routine? And then finally, who might be your spiritual workout partner? Who could that be? If you're going to train, you're going to need a partner. You need somebody to connect in your life. Who could that be? And would you invite them today into that relationship? The heroes that I mentioned earlier, Taylor, Bounds, Thomas, Moody, Knee, Tozer, those were all normal men who trained hard for good faith and good doctrine and practiced godliness. And man, what an impact they have made on the kingdom. God blessed their lives and their efforts because they submitted wholly to him. I've read their biographies. There's nothing special about any of those men until they surrendered themselves to Christ Jesus. And once they surrendered in faith and doctrine and godliness, God began a powerful work in their life that has changed thousands upon thousands. I want you to hear this. You and I are just like those people. There's nothing that God is holding back in our lives that he has given to those men. You and I could be that last person. If you're here today and you're hearing the challenge of God from his word, by his spirit, through my mouth, I want to ask you, put yourself in that last box. Put yourself there. In faith and surrender, train yourself Eat well and train hard. See what God will do. So, Lord, our faith and our confidence is in Jesus. We will toil and strive as your spirit gives us power to do so, trusting in you for grace to move such truth so deeply into our thinking and in our way of living that it would be glorious unto you. And Lord, I pray for the individuals who you're calling to that level and that measure and they're hearing your voice even now. Lord, let your faith be poured out in their lives. Let grace be richly poured into them as they begin the journey today to eat well, train hard. I pray it for the good of the people and the glory of Jesus. 